Hey there folks, this is Rob Woods and welcome to episode 19 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, really enjoy their job and make a bigger difference. And if your job includes corporate or major gifts or community fundraising, and if you're not sure how to stay connected and build relationships even now with your supporters, especially if your cause uh, is not obviously directly connected to the pandemic, then I wanted to create an episode today that could give you more uh, courage and confidence to still reach out and have conversations with your supporters. And to create this episode, I reached out to my long-standing friend and colleague, Ben Swart, who is a fabulous fundraiser. He's worked in fundraising for more than 12 years. And at the NSPCC, that has included roles in supporter care, major gifts and corporate fundraising. He's currently the head of new business for corporate fundraising at the NSPCC, and he's done that role for more than five years. He also works for Bright Spot. You may know him either from his fabulous conference sessions or from the training days he delivers on behalf of Brightspot. And one of his fabulous strengths is this particular skill he's talking about today, the act of bravely picking up the phone and reaching out to existing supporters, building rapport and helping them enjoy those calls. One of my favourite things about talking to Ben is invariably at the end of a conversation with him, I find myself more encouraged and indeed inspired to get on with it, be brave and take action. This conversation was no different for me and I hope it has a similar effect on you. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Hello, Ben Swart. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Rob, considering the strange times we live in today. I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Uh, yeah, really well, thank you. Uh, again, c- considering what's going on. Thank you so much for making time to chat. Uh, I reached out to you to make some content to help fundraisers out there. I particularly wanted Ben to talk today about what can many fundraisers out there do right now if... So I think it's uh, today, Wednesday, the 18th of March at the time of recording. Almost all uh, fundraisers I know are having to work from home. Yeah. And this presents many problems. They're not able to meet the the companies or the trusts or the major donors. Events have been cancelled. And so there's a risk to income because of all that stopping. Uh, And there's a risk to the relationships with those companies because of all that stopping. Uh, And then also there's also a risk to all of our morale and our ability to be decisive and take action. When we spoke recently, Ben, you have a particular thing that you are doing more of now and you're encouraging your team to do more of that is not all obvious and automatic. What's a key thing you would prescribe for us to include in our work activities now? Um, so for me, the, the, the main thing is seeing the reality of this situation and having speak, spoken to a number of other fundraisers, 
uh, and CEOs of charities, actually. This came from talking to them and watching the impact of, uh, even before everyone was told not to travel to various services, watching the impact on them um, made me realise I felt like I was in quite a privileged situation to be able to hear about the impact that this was having on the charity sector, on CEOs' lives, on the lives of the people on the front line. And I found it both heartbreaking, scary, and, and fascinating. And it, it, it made me angry and want to do more. And what I realised was normally we would be putting th th these sentiments, this, th these real examples, this content across to our donors if we're in front of them face to face, if they, like you're saying, if they come to our events. And so there's this fear at the moment that I don't have the event to look forward to or plan for, so I'm not sure what I'll be doing. They're not accepting co coffees, coffees with us. We had a donor who was, this time last week, they literally sent an email saying, yeah, I'll see you next week, I can't wait. And 48 hours ago, they said, no, we, we, can't, we can't meet you anymore. Um, and, and yet, what we've got to be doing is finding ways to speak to those same people, whether that is when they're working from home or wherever they are. We, I guess for me, what I realised is that they are just as scared as we are. They're in the same situation that we are, just not in our sector. Um, and I've noticed a couple of things that I might come on to, but it is our responsibility, I think, to spend time reaching out to the people who are nearest and dearest to us, whether that is current supporters, current trustees, current uh, previous supporters, people who, if you could pick five people who you think of as who, who are close to you, it's our responsibility to, to connect with them. And just like we're doing now, use our cameras, use Zoom and Skype and Microsoft Teams and WhatsApp, FaceTime and FaceTime to, to, to talk to them about what this situation is, 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 is for how it's interacting, how it's impacting on their life. Yeah. And then help them to understand what it's doing with ours. And what was interesting is when I look at actually what we were planning to do as a team, and when I look at the conversations I've been having with other fundraisers, how much of their time, of our time is spent choosing to do that? Loads of time seems to have been about, I want to clean up my pipeline. And definitely that's an important thing to do. And I want to do more research and I could plan creative ideas. And I'm not saying don't do those things, but we're sort of, assuming that because we can't get any face time with donors that's it it's done um and what i've realized is that this moment presents itself with a real opportunity for us to speak to them about something that we're all feeling and uh, and thinking about right now if, if that's clear <laughs> in terms of what you and i have always taught especially community fundraisers corporate fundraisers and high value major gifts or, or trust fundraisers, a key tenet we have always taught is that metaphor of test drives. Yes. I always teach people that the most successful BMW salespeople I've heard about, they don't focus on trying to sell cars. The most important thing is they focus on booking test drives. And if they focus on getting more test drives, then to some extent the car sales take care of themselves. And they do that, A, because their job becomes more fun because they like people and they, it's energizing. And, but B, because the more people who end up you know, experiencing your product, connecting, as that number goes up, sooner or later, some of those people are going to buy your product and buy your car. So I, I tell that example, and we use it as a metaphor in my courses, to help people more deliberately focus on 
in our in fundraising world, test drives means get people to come to our event or have cups of tea or coffee with us. And why? Because that whole metaphor translates across the more people you chat to who could care about your cause in either of those situations, sooner or later, A, energizes you, and B, sooner or later, you're going to meet some people who do want to run the marathon for you, do want to become your partner, or do want to give again. Right now, uh, for the foreseeable future, we can no longer think of test drivers come to our event or get coffees with us, but I just directly, I can't do those two, but now in my head, test drive focus means have more conversations, actual conversations on the phone, or using video technology than most fundraisers are doing right now. And day in, day out, you were saying to me, Ben, that's a key thing you're getting your team to be doing day in, day out. Who could I chat to who already cares about our cause? Can I actually connect with them and chat rather than just send them an email? As obvious as that sounds, my experience over the last couple of weeks is that many charities are not doing that. It takes a little more courage and some of us are feeling less brave now, understandably. We may be thinking that the donor doesn't want to talk to us right now. They've got enough problems. There's all kinds of reasons why we're not doing it. You mentioned yesterday, Ben, our friend James, uh, when, when um, he needed to communicate with, with people who were you know, about the, the, of the postponement of the London Marathon. Just remind me of that little story. Yeah, so he was telling me that um, we were messaging after the London Marathon had been postponed and how hard that had been. And he said that he called and got in touch with all of the people who were running the London Marathon for them to tell them that uh, it would no longer be going ahead to, and, you know, apologise and completely see things from their point of view. And he said that pretty much every person he talked to, uh, and, I, and, and, it, and it was calls, every person he talked to said it's coming if it's in october I'll, I'll do it for you i am still on for doing it for you and part of his reason for calling was to just gauge that you know as the head of fundraising as the head of those sorts of events gosh if we push this to october will these people still be willing to run 26 miles for me and he's you know whether he, he's still unsure as to whether they would or not but he took the time to speak to them to, uh, to tell them about the situation and literally one by one they said yeah like of course i will still do this for you this is tricky times let me keep doing this for you and i know that when we talked about this you mentioned that even even if it's a worry that in six months time gosh will they still be able to do it there's something about that essence of commitment and consistency that by saying to the head of fundraising of sue rider on the phone yeah i'm still going to do this for you that will be playing in them in the back of their mind when they go for their training um so yes, so, so sorry to interrupt, Ben. A couple of things I love about that. Number one, Professor Robert Cialdini, one of his six principles of influence is called commitment and consistency. And there's immensely powerful research that shows that if someone says to you that they're going to do something because you made that extra little call, that extra opportunity for them to say it to you verbally, it makes a dramatic increase in the likelihood that they will follow through. You know, the, the, the most famous study was of the, the problem faced by NHS GP uh, surgeries where people would not show up for an appointment. But the, the act of the receptionist booking the appointment, doing an extra step to get the, the other person to state back the date and time of their, their appointment and or for them to write it down themselves rather than you write it down for them. Either of those things that increase in a seemingly banal, tiny de detail way yeah, dramatically increased, or rather 
decrease the number of no-shows, saving more than, I, I don't, don't remember how many, but many millions of pounds worth of GP time, that extra step of commitment and consistency. So A, I believe James having actually had the conversations seriously increased the chances that fundraising will happen from those people who care about his cause. Secondly, just notice what difference is going to make to James who's had a chance to talk to those people yeah. and ha- have such you know, strong and potentially more emotive, more emotional solidarity building conversations of mutual support. How encouraged he feels after making six of those calls compared to if he hadn't done that and he'd just sent an email. His, the rest of his day is going to be filled with more optimism, more managing the meaning of this, that, you know, all is not lost. Fundraising will pick, pick up again because he actually had the conversation rather than a safer feeling, but more um, distant and less personal type of communication. And I think that there's a, a couple of things that, I've, that I certainly thought through and think through, which is like, there's, there's two or three things I've noticed. And even this morning, I was asking my team and my colleagues, are we doing this enough? Are we making best use of either the phone or crucially FaceTime, being able to see another person's face? Are we doing this enough? And the responses that I got back said from from some people, actually I would, but I don't feel hugely confident with the tech Um, or I would, but I'm not sure if I really want people to see my face in this. I'm not used to that, Ben. Um, and, and And that was really interesting. And one thing that I noticed when I spoke to my friend who works for a global car company was that they're so used to face timing type stuff. A, they, in their industry, when they have to talk to people in lots of places, they, they do it a lot anyway. But B, they've just got used to the fact that this is what you do now. So he said, you know what's interesting? You just get used to seeing everyone's living rooms, Ben. Uh, this is just something that we, that, that, that we now do. And um, he said that he does lots of work in China, where for the last two months, people have been stuck in their houses. And um, he said, you just get used to seeing the whole household in, in, the, in the meeting. Um, and I found that particularly interesting just because if you told me, if you told me, Rob, that in a minute my son's going to walk up and walk in here, about, about a month ago, well, a year ago, that would have made viral footage that would have circled around the globe. Yeah. Um, nowadays, I have a feeling that in about a week's time or two weeks' time when the kids are off school, everyone's going to be used to that. Like, everyone who we're worried about that we're talking to seeing that is thinking the same things. And that, that, that yeah, that was one thing. And so, and so one element of that is, you know, we're so used to, in the last five years, using this word authentic. But I honestly believe that the best leaders and the best fundraisers who I've interviewed over the last 20 years, they have not had a facade that you feel like you know the real them. Yeah. And they're real. You know about a bit about, you know, the, you know what hobbies they have and, and, and so on. They're real life. And, and I agree. One, I appreciate, you know, there's lots of things that are massive problems right now. But I think one of the silver linings will be, even within fundraising teams, in seeing other people's home and whether there's kids' toys around or, you know, a husband walking in or not, we'll get to know each other better. Yeah. It will be more the whole person rather than just the work facade that they put on. Um, And uh, it did just... (laughs) And within that, there's going to be elements of of humour. Just today, the, the first thing that made me smile today... 
was I did see a tweet from our friend and colleague, Leslie Pinder, uh, uh, who's a brilliant fundraiser who was on the podcast the other day. And, and her tweet was along the lines of, oops, that was my, our first, first moment of being on a group, group meeting teleconference and someone's colleague's husband walking in in their pants in the background. <laughs> And the, the tone I got was, it wasn't the end of the world. Maybe no. he was mildly embarrassed, but it made everyone else just smile at, 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 the, at the, some of the, the playfulness and different moments that this kind of communication throws up now. And the other thing I just want to say is, we haven't got time to go into detail, but I've been researching more and more about um, what it is that builds rapport between you and someone else or between yeah. someone else and your charity or your brand. And there's a very interesting book called Fanocracy by a brilliant marketeer called David Meerman Scott. And there's a whole chapter there about um, proximity and um, the power of when you're very close to someone physically, your brain reacts differently and um, on the whole, much better because you only ever are within a meter and a half of someone who you really like and or trust. Now, right now in the world, all of that power of proximity is being potentially removed for you to build rapport with your supporter. So the old reason you must get coffee, that can no longer work for you. But I was fascinated that he's got research about the mirror neurons that say, if you are having a video conference call, lots of the same mirror neurons are firing as if you were a meter and a half from someone having coffee with them, because wow. your brain can't tell the difference that it's not real, it's virtual. And so all the same, some of the same benefits of having a face-to-face -face chat or a chat at an event are happening if, you, if it is possible to not just be on the phone to them, but it's possible to actually see their face as well, technology notwithstanding. I, I love that. And, um, and the thing that makes me... I mean, the other, the other fear, so one of the things was the technology. The, the, other fear, the other fear was that right now, are they really going to want me to interrupt their day? Like, the truth is, yeah. Ben, we're all struggling. What is it we're going to do? And um, there are a couple of things that made me realise that not only is that, that might be true, but actually not only is that probably wrong, but it's more wrong than it has ever been right now. Yes. Um, I'm just going to quickly find this tweet. Here it is. Uh, this went viral. It's uh, 14,000 retweets in about a, an hour. And it is the story of two boys in, Saint, in Asda who they were shopping. They're, they're 13 or 14. This is what the guy says. And they were at the pasta aisle. And there was two last bags of pasta on the whole shelf. And they had picked them up. And then they just at the point that they picked them up, they turned and they saw a really elderly lady standing there looking at the shelf, realizing she wouldn't have any pasta. And they give her the pasta. They go, here you are, love. You deserve it more. You need it more than us. And they, as they run down the aisle, they shout to their mum, no more pasta left, mum. Uh, and that went absolutely viral as this wonderful moment where we decided to use this that we knew the horror of Corona, the vulnerability of that woman. And it's just a wonderful moment of where people are wanting to help. And if you actually have a look at Twitter, so on the same day, there were comedians, there were multimillionaires, there were business owners who were doing something called opening their direct messages, which means 
I'm not going to, which means anyone at any point can send me a private message. They don't normally do that because they get inundated. Opening their private messages for five or 10 minutes at a time and saying, message me if you feel like you are panicked, you don't know where money's gonna come from, you've lost your income, message me, and, and this is, lots of them are in the US, with your PayPal uh, link, an account, and I will deposit some money in there. And they were literally, Rob, being, but saying to people, you just tell me what your problem is and I'll donate you some money because I have the power to help people right now when all around I see people who need help. And what I found fascinating is that there's two main feelings that I've certainly been having and that I've noticed these people have. And one of them is fear at the current situation. And then the very second moment is if I can do something to help someone, I will damn well help someone. And what I know is that the same applies for the people that we'll be speaking to. And that if we call them and tell them the reality of what it is that we are hearing from our frontline services, um, and that's for another bit of this, is how you can make sure you're hearing that. Yeah. But if we tell them about the reality of what is about to hit, they are going to want to help um, if they have the capacity to help. Like if they're a local bakery, or sorry, a local restaurant, and actually this could well be the end of them for the next three months. They might not be the people who can help you, but if they have any other, if, if anything in their life can help another organization at the moment and they realize they need it, then they're going to help. And one, just to pause on this, I come from an organization, the NSPCC, that is regularly asked in pitches, if we were not to fund this project, Ben, what would happen? Or what would the world be like if you weren't here? Um, and I can tell you from and they, the- And they may not even say that, articulate it that clearly. No. But they may just say, why should we choose you? Why should we fund you? What difference would it make? Or yeah, what difference, yeah. Can you tell us the impact it would make, at which point most fundraisers delve into if they can at all spectacularly dull and uninspiring numbers that appear to describe impact but actually merely describe activity levels of how many scholarships we give or how many calls we answer so most questions you get asked at a pitch translate in your head to to basically this this thing idea of what happens if we don't choose you yeah, absolutely. And, and Rob, to be really clear, though, one of the most petrifying questions for most organisations is, unless this is a project that's only ever going to be funded by this particular donor ever, is, so there is literally the specific question of, um, uh, if we do not fund this project, will it continue? Will you still be able to provide this help? And the, do you know the response I get back? And you're right. And again, when, when, when donors are actually just asking, will it make an impact? Often the response I get back is, well, Ben, they want something that's a bit more urgent than, than, our, than our project, a bit more, you know, appeal-like. And I'm really sorry, but right now that is that moment. Like, I'm the, the, I am getting emails. I'm getting emails from, um, from Keep Cup. I'm getting emails from J Crew. I'm getting emails from insurance companies talking to me about how they might need to close various bits of their offices. But don't worry, they're going to still be here fighting. I like I couldn't give a toss about insurance, keep cups and clothes when I've come from a meeting where Childline is struggling to find enough laptops to make sure that the supervisors 
who need to decide what we'll do if a child is in a life-threatening situation and on the edge, edge of a bridge when they're normally next to them, but they can't be next to them because nobody's allowed to travel and they don't have enough laptops. So we need to do a call for laptops from anyone and anywhere. Like, I don't care about keep cups. Um, right now, if we choose to ask our own organisations what are we doing right now? What are we scared of? Where are we? Where are we panicking? And it's okay to panic if we find that stuff. I'm saying, and this links all the way back to the original point. Um, the people who we speak to will be interested in how organisations like ours are daring to try and survive during this time. Whether that is your fundraising team and the marathon places that are no longer there and the income that won't be there, whether that's the event that we had planned, or whether that is young people on the front line who will no longer have anywhere to go because when they finish school, your youth club was the only place that they could go to, or your theatre was the only place that they could go to. What, what we know is that you're, you're going to have some really compelling and quite frightening stories and examples of what the what coronavirus is, is doing to your charities i think we need to it is our responsibility to take those stories to write them down like i've been saying for a decade uh and to to use them when you are speaking to uh the people who will now be because there's two other bits to this who will now be working from home um and for the next few weeks with the uncertainty that comes day by day they will find themselves with time where you might be able to speak to them and FaceTime them in ways that you couldn't before. And the, if you are worried that you're interrupting their day and you're not sure how on earth you're going to start this conversation with them, my, my main... The, I said this to you, Rob, didn't I? November, at like middle of 2010, I think there was a Russian blizzard and the whole of London, the whole of November, like we had minus 14 and we had snow that was so deep that all the buses stopped, tubes stopped, people had to work from home and we didn't know how to work from home. Literally, everything stopped. I think my wife and I, we had a snowball fight in the street with other people. And I was a major gift fundraiser at the time, struggling to figure out how I would ever build rapport with or, or help someone to connect with me on the phone or face-to-face. -face. And the thing that changed every phone call was the sentence of, how are you dealing with the snow? Um, and it was like, oh gosh, well, my kids' schools have been closed. Um, we're struggling with work. And right now, in all honesty, the reason why I am calling and I will call our donors is not to say to them when they answer the phone, help me, please help me, is to say to them, I'm really interested. How are you coping right now? <laughs> Where are you working from? What are you doing? What impact is it having on you? And everything I know about people is that, A, they're going to give me some really good answers about what they're doing. And then the very next thing they'll ask is, how are things going for you? <laughs> Which is my chance to start telling them about the reality of what this situation is doing. And I'm not doing this because I expect them to give there and then. I'm doing this because I just want to connect with them and keep them in my mind, or keep us in their mind over the next few weeks and few months. And this is an unprecedented opportunity to do that. Um, and an unprecedented opportunity where we are all uh, leveled. It doesn't matter who we are. Like we're all basically in the same boat at the moment. Yeah, and I'm guessing the listener or viewer can tell this from some of the conversa brief conversations yeah. or even just looks they've exchanged with 
people they don't know at all or people they barely know, when you've said, uh, when normally you would say, how are you? And so I'm fine. In the last week, my guess is, as you said, how are you doing? In a more meaningful way, and they've understood that you're you're genuinely concerned. You're not just saying saying it politely to the, to, to then move on with your walk or, or get the shopping. And so that's this leveler effect that Ben is talking about. Everybody in all levels of society is one of the effects of the pandemic is we are we are more connecting and caring about the plight of those around us than we normally would be. A crucial thing about this tactic Ben is doing and his team are doing is in making that call, you're giving an outlet to someone, a valuable outlet to someone who cares about leukemia or the plight of refugees or the importance of having a theatre in our town, a youth club. Um, at a time when we are, we are caring more, about others potentially than in a more deliberate way than we normally would be. Um, many people don't have an outlet for how they could care about their local theatre or their local youth yeah. club. Yeah. Um, there's no shortage, I, in my experience, of people right now who are, are caring about, you know, for instance, elderly people in, in, in their village. I, I couldn't agree more. And I guess that's the thing is, if, if I were listening to this, I would just either on my own or back to your original point of helping you to change your state. This is a great excuse to have a FaceTime with your own team and ask yourselves the question, who are the, who, who are the five, 10, 15 people, trustees, do current donors, current corporate partners, current community groups, current relationships that I have, current volunteers in the local area who've always helped me, who are those people that, and, and I would draw that list um, as quickly as possible. You could do this by the end of the day. And I would literally just one by one, give them a call and, and talk them through and I, I ask them, how are you doing? How's things going for you? What's it like in your world? Um, and, then, and then match it to the things that are going on in your world and see where that takes you. I will be fascinated. And I think for another time, we can explore how you understand what your charity is trying to do today, what the problems are and, and what the solutions are. I will be fascinated because I'm sure that you'll be able to, in that conversation, find ways that you can help each other. I bet you can. But for now, I would say, fine, number one, just give yourself a list. Who are the people who, like, I can think of them off, on the top of my head, of our, our last few corporate partners who I would write down the list of senior people that I trust, who I'd be fascinated to get their view on how their organisations are managing this situation. Some major donors I can trust, I'd be fascinated to know their point of view. Um, and then also to let them know where we currently are, what we're currently doing. I, they will also be interested. Uh, if I'm just as interested in, in, in what they're doing at the moment, they'll be interested in ours. Um, and then it will be, uh, and, I, and I guarantee, Rob is absolutely right, this will help you, it, certainly in the long term, certainly with your own sense of, of, uh, of morale and productivity. So then, Ben, in terms of FaceTime, actually FaceTiming someone out of the blue, especially if they're someone we don't know well, is a bit weird, isn't it? Are you saying, uh, if you do have a phone number for any corporate or major donor who's ever supported you, call them first? using the phone because that's actually easier to start the conversation to get your foot in the door so to speak yeah ab absolutely i think um 
that's a good question because yeah so the, the main thing i would suggest is, is give them a call um and like you would normally be doing if 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 that, if that is the moment just just to check if do you have time now for a quick call if the answer is yes then the next thing i would say is that's good i'm <laughs> because i'm so stuck in all honesty this is what i would say because i'm so starved of seeing another human's face <laughs> just, can, can we do a Skype? Like, honestly, I don't care what you look like or what you're wearing. I just would love to, to, to have a FaceTime or a Skype call right now because it, it, like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing them like more at the moment and it's making my life a bit easier, making me feel less isolated. Um, do you have time right now? Uh, I, I, that would be my next question would be, if you have time for a phone call, you've got time for a FaceTime. Let's do that too. Um, yeah. Great. And the other thing I was wondering is, I do get that even when we're feeling at our best and fundraising is going with us from teaching fundraisers for the last 15 years, I know that many people do find it really quite hard sometimes. There are lots of psychological and confidence reasons and skill reasons why people can be reluctant to actually pick up the phone. Yeah. Most people who've come through our mastery programs, we've helped them get through that and then they report that absolutely it was a whole lot easier and 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 more enjoyable than they expected but if our viewer or listener is concerned about that what would you say to coax them into at least doing their best when feeling at their most confident in the morning to give it a shot more than they normally would that's a good question i i mean even even if we were back in the office and we were all able to go into the office and walk around like normal, I'd be saying the phone is the single most powerful thing you could be using right now, aside from those coffees, face to, to get those coffees and to talk to people. But we don't have that. We don't have our project visits. We don't have our co conferences that we might be meeting them at. We don't have the events that they could be coming to. We don't have the coffees that could be set up for us or on their behalf. We don't have the things that are able to be set up without you having to constantly make those calls. If you don't make these calls, you're missing out on one of the best ways to both understand and speak to and just connect with your donor and plan to do some things together. Um, and so it like what, what I know is, so my, do you know what a really good example was a few months ago, I met with a very senior person from uh, one of the biggest companies in the world uh, he, actually, he wasn't even that senior. He was like middle management. Um, but in that, because of the scale of that company, he was senior enough. Um, in the meeting, he connected his laptop up to the screen. Uh, and I don't, his, his laptop, it was like my inbox and maybe like yours. Every time you get an email, it appears in the sort of bottom right-hand corner. And whilst he was showing me these slides, literally every two seconds, it went bing, bing. Bing, bing. And it made me realize why previously when one of the techniques we'd used to try and get a meeting with him was just emailing him, he hadn't ever replied because his inbox was just like as if, as if we're going to be able to cut through that. Um, and that was when we weren't all stuck here at home. Like now more than ever, this is something that we have, have to be doing. Um, like, so I like, for, because all those other reasons have gone, be, other ways of interacting have gone, because the donors, uh, are, their inbox is just not a place that you, where you want to get hidden or stuck or, or, or lost, 
and because crucially right now we we're going to want connectivity and people talking to us more than we ever have done and right now a phone call from someone who i already know who's from an organization that i have worked with and i do care about a phone call from them asking me about the impact of this and a chance to talk to them is going to be welcome relief to all of you, <laughs> to, to, to you and, and to them. And I can tell you the difference between the times when he, he, even I, who's someone who's confident on the phone, have felt like I haven't got enough time, I'll just email. The re, the, I've wait, uh, months, months and months of not getting a meeting and then a phone call has been all it's taken to get a meeting and then a follow-up meeting and then another workshop and then another, like, honestly, the... I, I understand it and I used to feel the same sort of fear and then what I found was every time I got on the phone to someone and I actually had a conversation with them lo and behold we progressed quicker than we could ever have done at any other point I felt better for it it, it made my life easier uh, one of my friends is a director at an, an arts organisation and when Boris made the announcement that don't go to the theatre, don't go to the local restaurant, don't go out, uh, so they're a charity. They looked at their, uh, their situation and realised that if nobody bought a theatre ticket for the next few months, that could literally be the end of their organisation. Um, and so I was asking him about what he's doing and he said, well, t tomorrow morning, because it was an evening, tomorrow morning I am calling every single one of my main donors to let them know the situation. He didn't say, tomorrow morning, I am going to write a really well-crafted letter and mail it out or email it out. He was like, I have to tell them this situation. And I'm not even sure he's gonna call every one of them and say, please, will you give to make sure? I think he's just gonna say, with the organization you love, you've probably seen in the news the impact I want to tell you the impact it's having on us. So I hope you found listening to my discussion with Ben was encouraging and useful. If you did find it helpful, please do share it on with your colleagues or on social media. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Ben is at Ben Swart, S-W-A-R-T, and I am at Woods underscore Rob. I've written a summary of the key ideas we talked through in the episode notes on our Brightspot fundraising website. If you'd like to hear more of Ben's advice on this and other fundraising subjects, this was just one excerpt from a full interview I recorded with Ben for the Brightspot Members Club. If you've not heard of the club before, it's an online training club that we've been running for three years where fundraisers can access a whole library of fundraising training films. We do regular live webinars and weekly online coaching calls to help you learn new ways of fundraising, including, right now, lots of brand new content designed specifically to help charities adapt to the challenges we're now facing during the pandemic. To find out more, go to brightspotmembersclub forward slash join. Finally, thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate the effort it takes to keep investing in your professional and personal development and I hope you found it valuable. Until the next time, please stay safe and best of luck with all your efforts to be a force for good at this difficult time. <laughs>